You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Excited, like singing about the blood of Jesus, washes and cleanses me, and that's a wonderful song, and uh, I love coming to church and singing. And uh, I, I would just, I, I, I love, we used to do these sing-spiration things we just sing for like an hour, and we ought to do more of that. I just love these songs that we get to sing at church, and it's a privilege to do that. I want you to take your Bibles this morning, and uh, I'm kind of a man without a country as far as biblically. I don't, have a, I don't have a series I'm in on Sunday mornings, and for two years I feel like I've, I've kind of had a series I've been in, and so I like the freedom of, of just kind of sensing what God would have me to speak on, and, uh, and, and so I want you to take your Bibles, and we just finished Philippians, and then I took you back the next week. We're not going to Philippians today, okay? Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 19 in your Bibles. I've had, over the past two days, I've had probably 10, 12 people just texting me, Pastor, we're sick. I don't know what's going around, okay, but uh, stop sharing it, whatever it is. Goodness, I don't want to get it, but uh, I'm praying for you folks that are at home watching. I know we've got many people watching from home. Several this morning even texted me, so God bless you folks. Hopefully you get better, but uh, those are people that are not here, but people that are here, well, we have someone back in our church that's been missing for three months, this backslidden lady I'm just kidding, Miss Nancy Mata is back in church today after three months, and uh, we're so thankful for Nancy. If you did not know, three months ago, she broke her ankle, and uh, you know, she was kicking her sister, and you you know how Nancy gets with those anger issues she has, and uh, just broke, I'm just kidding, but uh, she broke her her ankle in a horrible way, and uh, still has the boot on and all that. And uh, I think she's coming back to work pretty soon, too, is what I hear. So that's good. And uh, things will get back organized like they should be. (laughs) But uh, we've been holding down the fort. But uh, we're so thankful Nancy's here. And I'm also thankful that maybe you did not notice it, but we are sitting in luxury today. Did you notice the AC is working? Praise God for air conditioning. Aren't you glad you're not like, okay, there's five of us that are real thankful, real thankful about it. The rest of you are like, eh, I don't, you know, one way or another. But uh, I'm, I'm super thankful. And tonight, when it's actually going to be warmer, I'll be preaching up here. And it says 71 right there on our little air conditioning thing. And that makes me very excited. So I give it a week till it breaks again. But we're excited for this week, all right? For it is going to be nice and cool. In fact, tonight we're going to crank it down to about 65 just to use it, you know, since we've got it. So I'm just kidding. But uh, I'm thankful for that. And it is a luxury, right? I mean, I remember going to teen camp. And, like, they would have those big, huge fans that, like, you couldn't hear anything else, but they'd have that in the window, you know, and, you, and it wasn't even working. It was just blowing humid air all around you. And we're sitting there in teen camp just drenched. And I just went to a teen camp just a couple weeks ago with my son. We went to Rockford, Illinois for a teen camp, got to preach there. And they had these big, you know, 1920s box fans and stuff, you know, maybe not that old, but you know what I mean, and all it does is just circulate the hot air and the bugs, just shoots the bugs at you, so we're, we're very, we have, we, we live very nicely in, in Long Beach, and we're spoiled, and so, but I thank God for the AC working today. That's all I wanted to say, we're going to pray and let you go today, be dismissed, and see you tonight, no, Exodus chapter 19. Let's look down at uh, verses 1 through 8, 
And today, today's message is a little bit different, and you'll see it as we go through here. <clears throat> Verse 1 says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone, were gone forth out of the land of Egypt. So they've been gone from Egypt from that bondage for three months. That's it, three months. The, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai, for they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai, had it pitched in the wilderness, and there uh, Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Verse 4 is our text verse. And we're going to read a couple more after that, but let's go back and read that verse again. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. And you remember what he did to the Egyptians? Remember what, that they saw that, the Red Sea and it closing up on them and all that? And, uh, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, ye, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded them. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. What's happening here? So we just see here after 430 years of bondage, that means that, that a generation that went into bondage, their children grew up in bondage and only knew bondage. Their children grew up in bondage and only knew bondage for 430 years, and they cried out to God. And what does God do? God comes through in a miraculous way, delivers his people out of the bondage that they had been in in Egypt, and, and, and deliverance there is, is a picture for us. The, the whole escape and exodus from Egypt is a picture for us of, of the fact that God delivers his people God delivers us through salvation. He delivers us through trials. He delivers us in a lot of different things. And now we're in chapter 19. What does chapter 20 bring? Chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. That's where Moses goes up onto the mount there and comes back down with the Ten Commandments later on. And so God's about to enter into a new covenant with people, with, the, with his children. He's about to enter into the law covenant with them and give them the law. And the law, the, that time frame of when that, uh, uh, and by the way, all that we're going to see after that is people breaking the law. Because that's what the law does. The law shows us that we need a Savior. We can't keep it. We're not perfect, okay? And so what happens is God gives them the law, and that culminates in the cross later on when Jesus uh, really abolishes the law. And, and not abolishes it, I should say. There's another word I can't think of for it right now. But, but it culminates in the cross where Jesus now says, now you can have deliverance from the law. You were living under the law, and now you can be delivered from that. And he did that as a payment on the cross for us. So that's where the law kind of goes. And, of course, people in the Old Testament could trust Christ as well, and that's how they go to heaven was by faith in Christ, uh, faith also. And so that's kind of where we're at in the Scripture. They just escaped. They're about to get into the law and have all these commitments between them and God, this covenant between them and God. And so in, in the midst of that, God kind of reminds them of something in, the, in verse number 4 that had happened in the past. And look at verse 4 again. And it says there, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. So the next verse says, Now if you'll obey me, 
You'll be a peculiar treasure, and you know, you'll be a, a holy nation to me. You'll be a priesthood, and all of that. But before he got to the covenant, he reminded them, you saw what I did and how I took care of you and how I called you to myself. And then he goes into the covenant there. So this verse is, what I want to show you here is this verse kind of gives us a little bit more of God's desires and God's designs. And that's what I want to preach to you about this morning. God's desires, oh, did y'all hear that? Isn't that a wonderful sound? I just want to bask in it. You know, I'm not praising. I'm just, I'm just trying to fill the air. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but I want to preach to you about God's desires and God's designs. And what I'm talking about is what God wants and how God works. Now, I'm not going to be able to tell you everything because I don't know everything about it. I don't know all that God wants, and I don't, know, I don't know all the ways that God works. But I want you to see here a little bit today of what God wants and how he works. What, what does God want for us? God wants us to be closer to him. Amen? I know that to be true. God wants us to be closer. I'm going to show it to you. He wants us to be obedient and committed to him. I'll show you that too. But also we would say, well, that's what God wants. But how does God work? In mysterious ways. That's what we always say, right? God works in mysterious ways. Sometimes it's not so mysterious, but many times we don't understand. So I want to pray. I want to talk to you about God's desires and God's designs. Father, we pray for your help today. We need your help today. We want your help today. I pray that you'd speak with us. I pray that, God, we'd be open to what you have for us today. I pray that, God, you would help the message to be clear and to get across what needs to be gotten across today. Speak with us, I pray. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When I was getting engaged, by the way, we have a new married couple here. The Webs are back here, and so the newly married Webs, so we're excited for them. But uh, when I was getting engaged, about to get engaged to my wife, I had to go buy the best cubic zirconium ring. I'm just kidding. I had to go buy um, a ring for my wife. And I don't know many things more stressful uh, than trying to ring shop. And because the thing is, you, you know, no man is like just an expert on rings, right? It's not, it's not born with that. You know, you, it, you're ignorant. You walk in there and they could be like, this is uh, a beautiful, uh, flawed diamond ring, completely flawed, $50,000. And you'd be like, okay. You know, we have no idea what we're doing. And so I, I walked into several stores in San Jose and Santa Clara, which Santa Clara is so expensive. And I walked into, so I went to San Jose and Sunnyvale and places like that. And I was like, uh, okay, that one looks nice. And, and, you know, and th so they give you a little packet of information because you feel like a moron when you walk in there. And you get this little folder, and it starts talking about all the C's, the clarity and the cut and the carrot and the whatever the other C's are. And uh, you, go, you go through that. Ask Nate. He knows all about this now. And so you're going through that, and you're looking, and you're like, oh, okay, you're learning everything. And then they take this little micro, you know, the little little. I don't know, my telescope, microscope, whatever it is, and they say, let me show you this diamond, and they put it under there, and, and you're acting like you know what you're looking at. Yeah, that's awesome. Woo, I see exactly. I have no idea what I'm looking at. And so they, they found this diamond that had no flaws or whatever, and it was cut this way. And, you know, it's the funny thing is that when, when you look at, like, these flawless diamonds and you look at them or whatever, and you can see that, that, that there's just no blemish. And every single, like, time you turn it just a little bit, you see a different facet of the diamond, like a different shape of it, because there's so many sides to it. And when you're looking at it, like, you, you know, you're turning it around, and it's just more and more beautiful as you look at it. 
And you can kind of see that a little bit if you know what you're looking for, which I didn't know too much. And you know, I feel that with, with God. Every single time you read a story in Scripture, it shows you just a different angle of God. It shows you a different facet of God. It shows you a different way of seeing how he does things. But by the way, that's why it's so important that you know the Bible, so that you know God. And when you know Scripture, you know him. But I want to tell you, God looks good from every angle. God is beautiful. God, what God does is right from any angle you look at it. There's no flaw. There's no defect. What God does is perfect. And so when we can look in Scripture and maybe get an idea of what God wants and how he works, his desires and his designs, I think we ought to do it. And, and, and so every Bible story you study, imagine it's just a little piece of the puzzle of getting to know your God better. And so that's a very important thing. So what does this passage teach us about God, what God wants and about how God does things? Okay, I want to show you three things this morning, because every good message has three points, as I've told you before. Number one, I want you to look at verse number four here. <clears throat> I want you to see separation. Separation. And what we're talking about there is that God seeks to draw us to himself. Okay, look at chapter uh, 19, verse four. Ye have seen, <coughs> excuse me, you have seen what I did unto Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings. Why? And brought you unto myself. Brought you unto myself. So what's he talking about here? He, he, the, Egypt was a picture of the world. And he separated his people, called them out of Egypt. But when you separate, in, in the Bible, you don't just separate from something. You always separate to something. You leave something to go to something else. And in the Bible, what was happening here was God was separating his people, calling them from something to bring them closer to himself. Because you know what? God's not in the world. Now, God may, may live here, but, but the things of the world are, are at enmity with God. And so he's calling them, separating them out. Now, this is a gracious proposal by God. He says, if you, will, if you obey my voice, you'll be a peculiar treasure. I will call you out, and you'll be with me. And, and that's a great, gracious proposal from God. But I want you to take your Bible and go to 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want you to see another great, gracious proposal from God. 2 Corinthians in chapter number 6. Here's another very gracious proposal from our God. So he tells them, look, you obey and life will be easy for you. Now I know that that was a promise to the Israelites in that setting. But he also makes us promises too. And God desires that we come out and be separate from the world. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? These are, these are different things. They should not be together. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, an unbeliever? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, I will receive you, and be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So God has given us a gracious proposal too. And he says, you need to come out from among the world as well. Just as his children in the Old Testament had to come out of the world and separate to God, we also need to separate unto God. 
When you separate, again, you're leaving something. You're going from something to something else. Children of Israel left the world. We're called out from the world to God. We are called out from the world and to Christ. In my office, there is, uh, I have a Noah's Ark. Uh, it's, a little fig, it's a little wooden Noah's Ark that uh, Brother Paul Abelquist, you remember Brother Paul, and uh, he, he made for me. I, he, he, I think he made it for Pastor Murphy or something. And Pastor Murphy's like, I don't want this garbage, and he left it there. But um, I'm just kidding. But uh, it was anyway, it was in my office, and I got to see that, and, and I got to have it. And I, and I kept it. I was like, this is great. My kids will love this. My kids still do play with it. And so what it is, it's like, it's just this, it's about this big. You can take the top off. You can take another section out. And there's all these wooden carved animals in there. And all of these animals are in there. And I don't know what happened. All of them are wood, except for one. One is green. I don't know what happened to that one. I don't know if it was special to the creator. I don't know what happened. But all of the animals, they, they all look the same. But one of them, they're all carved from wood. One of them is green. Can I tell you, you know, when our kids were younger, and they're still pretty young, but when they were younger, do you know what they fought over? Which one did they want? They wanted the green one. You can't have the green one. I want the green one. Why? It was different. It was peculiar. It was a different thing. And they wanted the green one. It's unique. You know, God says, and what we're just looking, uh, where he says, if you'll obey and you'll, and you'll come to me, uh, I will make you a peculiar people unto me. You'll be unique. You'll be special unto me if you will come out from among them. And so that's, that's what he's saying is you will be not like the rest of the disobedient world, which is not obeying God and not loving God. You'll be different. You'll be unique for me if you just separate, if you come out from among them and be separate. Now, what I find very, very interesting about the passage that we just read uh, in, in the book of uh, Exodus, and if you want to go here just quickly, this is just a side thought. If you go to the book of uh, Peter, 1 Peter, please, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and this I'm just doing this by memory here. I hope I find the right verse. 1 Peter chapter 2. Remember what he said earlier, and I'll go back and read it from where we were. He says, now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, ye and keep my covenant, then shall ye be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and, and so forth. So God said, under the law, if you will come out and be separate, Boy, you will be a peculiar people unto me, and uh, you'll be a treasure. I'll make you a kingdom of priests. He said, if you'll just obey. You know what's great about the fact that we have grace now at salvation? Is that all those things that were conditional now are given to us when we got saved. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says this, but ye are. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now what's that saying? That's it. Look, and the, God was saying, if you obey, I'll do this for you. But once you got saved and you entered into grace, you get those things automatically. You are a treasure unto God. You are a, a priest in God's eyes. In other words, you can go to God directly. You don't need anybody to go to God for you, and you're special to God. And I just think that's amazing that God does that when you get saved. But I want to just say that all throughout Scripture, this issue of separation is seen. All throughout Scripture, the issue of separation is seen. Go, if you would, and I know I've had you turn a couple places. I won't have you turn. I don't, I don't know if I'll have you turn anywhere else but except for Exodus. But go to Genesis chapter 1. Hopefully we can find that. Genesis chapter number one. I want to show you this. This issue of separating from the world. 
is not just mentioned one time in Scripture. It's pictured all throughout Scripture that we are supposed to be different. We are supposed to be unique. I preached a message to the teens uh, here uh, a couple months ago in chapel, and the message was titled, You're Weird, and That's Okay. You're weird, and that's okay. You know, it's okay to be different. It's okay to, to not fit in with the rest of the world. It's okay not to have a life that looks like everybody else, because we're not supposed to. We're supposed to be different. We're called out. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Notice the pictures here. We, we talked about studying types on Wednesday night. Notice the type, typology here. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Get the picture. Let's go back through these verses briefly. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Let's just put us in there. God created man. Verse 2, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. That's the picture of the unsaved man, the unregenerated man. Darkness. Darkness. Not, no light. Darkness. But look at the next part. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The conviction of the Holy Spirit of God moves on you. And what happens? You get saved because it says, and let there be light. All you knew was darkness. When you get saved, there's light. There's a light of Jesus Christ. The light of the gospel is now shining in you. But look at the next thing. God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided. You know what the word divided means in Scripture? It's the same word for separated separated the light from the darkness. All throughout Scripture, the, the, the process and the principle of separation is seen. In, the, in, in, the, uh, in heaven, God's going to separate the goats from the sheep. The goats are those who never trusted Christ. Uh, you can see it all throughout Scripture, this issue of separation. You know what the church is? The word church in, in, in the Bible in Greek is ekklesia. It means a called-out assembly. It means we're called out of the world. We're different. Christians are supposed to be different. We're supposed to be separate. I wonder today, who, what is God trying to separate you from? What is God saying, you don't need that in your life. Separate from that. And if you separate from that, guess what you get more of? God. What is God trying to separate you from? Something on your phone? Something on your TV, something where, how about this? Who is God trying to separate you from? Maybe there's a friend, maybe there's a coworker, maybe there's someone that's flirting with you. Who is God saying, get away? Separation. What does God want? God wants to draw you to himself. That's what God wants. But I want you to see this. Look at Exodus again. I think we'll just stay in the book of Exodus. I have one other, I actually have one other verse we'll get to, but it's okay. I want you to see not only separation, but preservation. We see God here talking about separation. He's trying to draw, him to, uh, draw us to himself, but preservation, in other words, God seeks to deliver you from bondage. W what does God want to do? He wants to draw you to himself, okay? We're seeing his desires, right? We see that God is seeking to deliver you from bondage. That's the picture here. That's what we can take away. And so there's another desire that God has. Look at verse 4. It says, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. What did he do to the Egyptians? To the Egyptians. He drowned them in the sea. Why? To deliver his people. And he wouldn't have had to do that had they just left it alone and did what they said they would do. But Pharaoh was stubborn. And how I bear you on eagle's wings. 
So God, he, he, he wants to take care of his people. God does not want his people to be in bondage to anything. God does not want us to be in bondage to anything. He gave them the law, but he delivered them from the curse of the law at the cross. He often used bondage in the Bible as a teaching rod. Because why? So that we would learn that bondage is the result of sin. That's what he wants us to learn, is that sin leads to bondage every time. And the more you give in and the more you do something, it's just the natural destination. Sin leads to bondage. And so he let his people go into bondage. And they would cry out for a deliverer, and he would step in and save them. And they'd go back to their sin, and they'd go back into bondage. Again and again and again. But God's faithful. But God is faithful, and he delivered. Verse 4, it says, he said, how I bear you. What's bear mean? It means to carry. Well, God carried them. And God carries us. Think about this for a second. When you carry something, that implies two things. When you carry something, it implies, first of all, support. Support. God carrying something is support. I remember when my wife and I got married, and I got to carry her over the threshold. She wanted to carry me over, but I said, no, we're not doing that. And uh, No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I carried her. And you know what? I was very careful to support her. I didn't bash her head against the doorpost. Just get in here, woman. You know, we didn't do that. You know, I was very careful, and we got in, you know, and all of that. And so I was careful, right? But I was, I was, I was a support. There's no way. Carrying my kids when they're young. You know, I, I know that sometimes dads, you know, make the kids stand on their hand. Look at that, you know, whatever. But really, we're always careful to support, you know, take special care not to drop the kids. And it's just amazing as, you know, as our kids grow up, I realize that I carry them in different ways. I support them in different ways. You know, and, and I think parents never stop doing that, right? We, we're always going to be able to try to carry them so they don't fall. But, but God is carrying. There's no way he lets his people fall. If God is supporting us, if God is supporting us, there's a song that we have in our songbook. If he carried the weight of the world upon his shoulders, I know my brother that he will carry you. I know my sister that he will carry you. I have, you know, many of you have heard this before. It's very, very famous. It's called Footprints. Many of you probably maybe have a copy or something in your house. But in case you've never heard it, this is a super popular, older Christian thing. But just listen to the words. Uh, one night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes of, from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand and I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, Especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. And he whispered, God whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever, during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. And we've heard that before, probably many of you. But that's, that's what God does. He carries us through. He carries us through the trouble, but, to the trials, but there's support. But also, what does is, what is carrying imply? Not only support, but movement. Support and movement. 
if you are, if you are carrying something but you're not moving, you're just holding it. <laughs> That's what you're doing. And so when God says, I bear you, I carried you on eagle's wings, what was he saying? He was saying, I carried you, I was there with you as you suffered, as, as you went through it. There was not a moment that I was not there with you. There was not a moment that I did not see. And he said, uh, but, but he also, he's taking them somewhere. Where was he taking them? In here, he was taken to the promised land. What's that a picture of? The victorious Christian life. And God wants to move you and take you somewhere. He wants to grow you and take you to be where you're supposed to be. He said there he'd take them on eagle's wings, which leads me to believe a higher elevation, growth. I even put a little eagle on the, do you see a little eagle there? I did that for you, okay, because it's, on the, it's in the message here. But God wants you to grow, and you can't grow if you're stuck in bondage. You need deliverance. God has moved me many times. God moved me when I was six years old to get saved. He convicted my heart of sin. He moved me. I remember as a teenager at teen camp, God moved me. God, God spoke to me, and I responded. I remember God literally moved me from, uh, from Geneseo, Illinois, to Santa Clara, California for college. God literally moved me down to Long Beach in 2006. God has moved me many times since. God, can still, God still carries me. God still bears me up. God still moves me. When is the last time God moved you? When is the last time that something in a message, and it wasn't just a sad story, it wasn't just you know, a tearjerker type of thing, but when is the last time the truth moved you? Truth. When is the last time you sat in a service and you were holding back the tears because God was speaking to you? When is the last time you sat here and you could not wait till the, uh, till, the, till the message got done so that you could get to the altar or so that you could bow your head in prayer because God was speaking to you, because God was moving you? God wants to move you. God wants to move in your life. He wants to deliver you, but you know what? If you want to stay in bondage, he'll let you. But he wants to carry you. He wants to lift you out of that. And he wants to move you to victory. He wants to move you to growth. But you have to let him. When's the last time you let God move you? When's the last time when that spirit spoke to you in that still small voice in your heart, you said, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way? For some people, nothing moves them. Nothing moves them. Anything could happen. But, and they're stubborn. They're hard-hearted. And I want to encourage you to let God move you. What's God's desire? God's desire is to get you out of bondage. God's desire is to separate you unto himself to have a victorious Christian life. But that's what God wants. But how does God do that sometimes? And that's what I want to address lastly here. And I want to just talk about the application. How did God do it? How did God move them? And I want to say this. Although... In separation, God is seeking to draw you to himself. And in preservation, God seeks to deliver you from bondage. But how does he do it? What's the application? How does he do that? God may do things differently than you can imagine, than you can think. God may choose to do things differently than you anticipate. I want to show you this, and we'll be done. Look at chapter 19 again, verse 4. This is interesting. He said, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you... On eagles' wings. Now, in the Bible, the swiftness of the the swiftness of the eagle is mentioned, and I believe one takeaway, one application we could make from this is that God can turn anything around in a moment of time. I think that's a good application to make. That God can turn around any situation in your life, just like that. He can flip the switch at any time. You say, "Well, this is an impossible situation." No, you have an impossible miracle-working God. 
and God can turn the situation at any moment. God can deliver and God can do it quickly. God can take the bad in your life and make it good very quickly. He can do that because he's the one that works all things together for good to them that love him and, know, and, and, and are called according to his purpose. He can flip the switch completely, so don't lose hope. Don't give up. And he can bear you out of your situation on eagle's wings. That's a swiftness thing. But I'll say this. How do we think in America, what do we think about eagles? Like our national symbol, right? It's like, freedom! You see an eagle and you're just like, you get a tear in your eye. Freedom. You know, it's just it's like how, it's what we've been trained to think. Can you believe that Benjamin Franklin wanted the national bird to be a turkey? You know what I say? He's a turkey. That's ridiculous. The eagle, you know, it's, it just looks mean and like and powerful, right? Well, that's how we think in America. You know what? The Bible wasn't written to Americans. Especially the Old Testament was written to Israel. But I want you to see here one more passage, and, we'll, and, and, and it'll be the last one I'll show you. Look at Leviticus chapter 11. So you're in Exodus. Go to the next, next book over. Leviticus chapter 11. So what did the people in the Old Testament think about? Or uh, how were eagles viewed in the Bible? You know, we, we think of freedom in our country and we're going to salute the flag and all that kind of patriotism. But what does the Bible say about eagles in regards to Israel? And God's saying, I bared you out on eagles' wings. Look at it, Leviticus chapter 11. Look at verse 13. And these are they <clears throat> which ye shall have in abomination among the fowls. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. Number one, the eagle. Unclean bird. Abomination. And yet God said, how I bear you out on eagle's wings. Why do you say that? Why, why would he choose the picture? And why were eagles unclean? Eagles are, are birds of prey. Raptors. They're, they're birds of prey. They eat carrion. They eat dead things. And God said, that's unclean for you. You can't have that. What, what is this saying here? What I'm saying is this, and I, I believe the application is. God wants to bring you to himself to separate you from the world. And God wants to deliver you from bondage. And he wants you to have victory in your life and get you away from trouble. But he might not do it the way you think he will. He might not do it the way you think. He'll deliver. And he'll come through. And he'll answer that prayer. And he'll meet that need. But has he ever done it in the way you thought he would? No. Probably not. You see, sometimes he draws us to himself with something unclean. Sometimes he draws us to himself with something unfavorable. Something that we would not choose. The children of Israel went through things that they would not have chosen to go through. They would not have chosen to go through bondage. They would not have chosen to go through what they witnessed in Egypt. To be chased by their enemies. To suffer hunger and thirst in the wilderness. Walking in the desert. They would not have chosen those things. There are things that God brings you and me through that we would not have chosen for ourselves. But he does bring us through. He does bring us through, and why does he do that? Because he wants to bring us closer to himself. 
There are trials in your life that, may, that God may bring you through, and you may think to yourself, this is unclean. This is, in other words, this is unfavorable. This is not something I would have chosen. This is not something that I would have liked. But God brought you through it. Why did he do that? It was a way in which you didn't anticipate, but he still used it to bring you to himself. For some, he delivers people by healing them of their sicknesses. But other people, he delivers them by taking them to heaven. But God still delivered. He still came through, but maybe he didn't do it the way you thought he should. Or you thought he would. Some, God delivers, and, and it's through a joyous, amazing thing, and God, God delivered you that way. Other people, there's hardship that comes. And yet God delivers you from that in a way that you did not see coming. And, and just God does things in a way that is different than what you may anticipate. Some people only grow by going through the valley. I preached a message uh, about fruit is grown in the valley. When you see a mountaintop, you don't see much fruit on the mountaintop. You see, mount, you see fruit in the valley. That's where, fruit, that's where fruit has grown. And God brings us through the valley to get to that growth. You know, I, I, I reference this song a lot. Uh, it's a song, God's Been Good. Love this song. Brother Delgado sang it many times. It's always great. I have that song in many different formats on my computer. Like, many different people have sung that song. And I have it in several different ways on my computer. And one of the lyrics, one of the ways that one group sings a song, the chorus says these words. It says, God's been good in my life. I'm not going to sing. I want you to think of the words. God's been good in my life. I feel blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. Great. I hope you feel that way. That's wonderful. And though I've had my share of hard times, by my side he's always stood. Because through it all, God's been good. Now, that's how one group sang it. But you know what? That's not the original words. You know what the original words are? One phrase is changed in there. And when it says, I've had my share of hard times, by my side he's always stood. The original lyrics say, and though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could. That's a difference. And so one group took that and thought, well, I'd change it. I'm not looking down on them. I don't remember who it was. They said, well, I'd, I'd change all the hard times and just say that God stood with me. But what the original author meant to say was what he meant to say. And to say that, though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could. Because even in the valley, God is good. Even in the valley, that's where God got me to grow. And so you may be going through things in your life, and you may, you may understand the separation part that God wants to separate you from the world. But maybe you don't like how he's doing it. And maybe you see that God wants to deliver you from the bondage, but the path ahead for you to get out of that bondage looks painful. And maybe God is going to do something in your life and, 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 and change you in a way that, that you would have done it differently. But I want to remind you that your father knows best. In other words, the lyrics here, I wouldn't choose it, but I wouldn't change it either. I wouldn't choose it. No one wants to choose a trial, but I wouldn't change it either. Because through it all, through every trial you've been through, through every issue you face, you should be able to say, God's been good. And God showed me more of himself in the trial than I ever saw on the mountaintop. I hope you can say that. I want to remind you that he's the potter and we're the clay. So trust him. This morning, what do you need to separate from? Who 
do you need to separate from? What is that Egypt in your life that God's saying, come out, come out, come to me? I wonder, in your life, have you noticed, if you could look back, could you see God's support in your life, how he carried you? I wonder if you could say that you are letting God move you in the services, in your Bible reading, in prayer. Is God moving you? Are you allowing him to do that? Then I'd also ask this morning, are you okay with how God brings change in your life? Or do you get bitter and blame him? He may do it in your life in a way that seems unfavorable to you, but he knows what he's doing. Trust him. So today we see what God desires. He wants to bring you close. He wants to deliver you. But his designs, how he does it may be different. So wherever you're at in your life, I would encourage you to trust your God. Trust that your father knows best. Let him work on you. Let him move you. Don't resist that hand. Welcome it. Notice that as he's moving you, he's also carrying you. And then don't let anything stand in the way between you and God. Separate from Egypt and run to Christ. Our Father, I thank you so much for the word of God today. I thank you for the scripture passages. I thank you for the truths that we see in this scripture.